0: content warning. This episode of the Nation's Blind Podcast discusses abuse and sexual assault. If you or someone you know has experienced sexual violence, you are not alone. The National Sexual Assault Hotline offers free confidential support 24-7 at 1-800-656-HOPE. That's 1-800-656-4673 or online at www.rain.org. That's www.rainn.org. Hello, and welcome to the Nation's Blind Podcast. I'm Melissa Riccobono, and I'm here with quite a few people today.
1: We missed you last month there, Melissa. i oh, glad you could join yeah, us I'm again. I'm really
0: happy to be back. Thank you.
1: Yeah, yeah, Chris kind of stepped in and did his thing, and
0: well, we're happy you know. to have
1: him. Oh, by the way, this, this is Anil Lewis, and I'm uh, the, the usual co-host here with Melissa, so good to be here all together again. And yes, we do have some special guests. You want to introduce them?
0: Uh, Yeah. So we actually have two members of our Survivors Task Force from the National Federation of the Blind. And I actually will say both their names, but then we'll actually allow them to each introduce themselves as well. Um, We have Marcy Carpenter and Daphne Mitchell with us. And Marcy, why don't you get started by letting us know just a little bit about you and um, your role on the Survivors Task Force?
2: Thanks, Melissa. It's great to be here. My name is Marcy Carpenter. I am a survivor and I'm a member of the Survivor Task Force. I'm also the president of the National Federation of the Blind of Washington.
0: Fantastic. And Daphne? Hi, I appreciate
3: the invitation to come and be on this podcast. Uh, My name is Daphne Mitchell and I have been a resident of the Land of Enchantment, which is New Mexico for the last 11 years. And I am one of the state board members uh, as a part of the affiliate here. And I do several other things with with different divisions and training some of our affiliate training centers. And I'm a part of the task force.
0: Fantastic. So, you know, a lot of people know about the task force and its work, but I'm sure there are some that don't. And so maybe we should just go back just a little bit. You know, in in the past few months, the National Federation of the Blind has been brought up in discussions of sexual assault, sexual misconduct, also emotional type misconduct, particularly in training programs. And so this is really where the survivor-led task force, you know, out of these things, um, the National Federation of the Blind has has reacted. And one of the reactions is to create the survivor-led task force. Uh, is that is that right? Is that how you guys um, see this? And, you know, what is the task force to you and what do you see its role as being?
2: So the task force is really here to bring the voice of survivors into this discussion. And to have that voice lead the discussion. So, what's the discussion? The discussion is what do we need to improve to make the National Federation of the Blind and all of our conventions, events, and programs as safe as possible? So, the task force brings the survivor voice to lead those conversations, to lead, you know, how does our code of conduct need to be enhanced? What other methods of communication do we need to have? How do we need to have the right kinds of training for our leaders and our members? And how do we shift to a sort of a different culture, a way of doing things, more awareness? And so people know, as leaders, as survivors, and as allies, how to respond to things that are going to happen. We're all people. These things don't just happen in our organization, but we are in our organization, and so we have the ability to to change things here.
1: Yeah, and I think that's a key point to two pieces. One, what we're dealing with is not just unique to the NFB and it's not just unique to the blind community. it's a societal ill that we all need to to correct and I agree with the power that we have, we really can be responsible for creating a culture change that moves us into a place where we do have safer spaces, more welcoming spaces, and really address this in a real substantive manner. I appreciate the work that you guys are doing on the Survivor Task Force.
0: Absolutely. Daphne, is there anything that you'd like to add? Marcy, did a great job
3: explaining exactly what the task force is. And as anyone listening out there can imagine, it's a huge undertaking to begin addressing these issues and standing up procedures and helping to update policies to bring about this intentional culture shift. And so with the Survivors Task Force, there are six of us who are on the task force from various backgrounds and income statuses and just just, um, racially and age-wise, just lots of different things that in terms of intersectionality, that are represented within the task force. It is not a complete picture of the membership of the organization, but it's a a great start. And to help the six members to carry out the duties that we have been tasked with, we have three branches, and those are the training and culture branch. And what they're focusing um, is making sure that we have trainings in place to help from the chapter level all the way up to the national level to make sure that the cultural shift is sustainable, that there's ways to know, you know, how frequently should leaders and members receive various trainings on anti-bias or sexual misconduct or some of the other topics that have been raised around emotional abuse and those sorts of things, like how frequently should that be done and how can we do it as an organization and then how is it going to be tracked? So that's what the training and culture branch focuses on. And that branch is headed up by Katherine Webster and Sarah Meyer. We also have a communications and engagement branch with just so happens Marcy and I co-chair And what we're focusing on is that the messaging about the intentional culture shift is getting out. That the messages that go out to our organization and the blindness community as a whole is presented in a way that the average person can pick up a document, read it, and gain understanding of what we're asking those who participate in federation activities to do. What are our expectations? And so that is a part of the communications and engagement branch. And then we have procedures and oversight, which is co-chaired by Briley O'Connor and Cheryl Fields. And what they are doing is making recommendations for improvements to the code of conduct, you know, meeting with our stakeholders who partner with us to carry out programs for the Federation. They're also making sure that our close, close partners, like, you know, our three affiliated training centers, and then the National Blindness Professional Certification Board, that we have clear understandings of expectations for the professionals working within those various systems. And if we need to stand up new policies or memorandums of understanding, then we want to definitely help to facilitate those things. We want folks who belong to the organization, whether they're a survivor or an ally, whether they're a leader in any capacity, or just or simply a member who helps blind people and those who know blind people realize that they can live the life they want. So people, anyone to volunteer with one of the branches. And you can do that by going to our website, which is www.nfb.org survivors and click on the volunteer registration form. And you do not necessarily have to be a member of the Federation to participate.
1: So let's break something down because I don't want to assume that all of our listeners understand the terminology, but We've been using the word survivor quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And and one of you describe or define survivor.
3: Sure. You know, when we sat down to do this work, we brought together a a number of different definitions of survivor or victim. And we have defined it as someone, a federationist or non member uh, within the blind community who has experienced pain through violence, abuse or misconduct of any kind, including, but not limited to, physical, sexual, psychological abuse, harassment, or assault, and may and that individual may live with trauma as a result.
0: That's a, mm. that's a good definition and, and a very broad one, which I think is important. I really do, because I think it's important to realize that, I think it was Marcy that talked about it before, that you know, we're, or Neil, who said, this is not just a blindness issue. This is a societal issue. And so we're not even saying that to be a survivor, you need to have had this experience within the National Federation of the Blind. It doesn't mean that you didn't have the experience within the National Federation of the Blind, but it doesn't mean that you did. And, Uh you know, again, it's not just a sexual survivor. It's all these other different things, which can very much cause people to live with some trauma and or to really want to help you know make that something that won't happen to other people, or just want some support, um, want a place to talk about it, um, want a place to to kind of process some of those emotions. so that that's a really good definition.
1: but But taking that into consideration, there's got to be some nuance that blindness brings to this whole situation, right?
0: Yes, definitely. What do you think are some important things about being blind and being a survivor?
2: If I can take that, I think one of the things is that, you know, as blind people, whether we grow up as blind people or we become blind later in our lives, people touch us. They may touch us to show us how to do something. They may guide our hand to a chair. They might show us a a good braille technique with our hands. And so setting the boundaries of what is okay and what is not okay and how, how do I have body autonomy as a blind person and what is consent are really important. And they, they are factors that have a unique lens because we're blind.
0: Daphne, do you have anything else to add to that? I think
3: Marcy hit a lot of the, the highlights about when you're a survivor and you're a blind person and kind of what can lead to becoming victimized.
1: Do you think as a result of that, you know, people growing up being exposed to that, they tend to have, I think you use the word body autonomy, less body autonomy or feel like it's okay for people to actually physically interfere in their particular physical space. Is that what happens?
2: I think it can. I think that having that experience can lead blind people to be kind of confused about, okay, where can I draw the line? Mm -hmm. And we don't always have those discussions, you know, as a blind child growing up, nobody ever talked to me about that. Mm. And so I didn't have a really good definition of that, of what, you know, what my body autonomy was when it was okay for me to say no, or even just, you know, if I didn't say yes enthusiastically, you know, what does that mean?
3: And I was actually going to bring up the whole confusion about where does a blind person's need for body autonomy end? And when is it like, well, I don't know whether I should say something or not that you're making me uncomfortable because they're Mm -hmm. just trying to help. You know what I mean? Because a lot of us grow up and folks just like, oh, let me just take you over here. You're wanting to go to this place. I know you are because... And, you know, that's where, that's logically where I think you want to go. So, and, and, and as you grow into, you know, an adolescenthood or adulthood, being comfortable voicing that discomfort of someone just automatically doing something for you without seeking your permission or your consent, it's like, well, should I say something? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah, the confusion factor is definitely, it plays a big role.
0: And I think, too, one huge thing, you know, and I was just looking at this the other day, sort of in preparation for this podcast, but also just for other, you know, things that are going on in my life. And I just, I think about growing up as a blind kid and the word that comes to mind now more than any other is contradiction. You know, I Mm -hmm. was told, oh, you can be anything. But then I was told, oh, but you can't be an Mm -hmm. artist because people don't know what you're drawing. You know, I was told. um, Yep you know, you need to be independent. You need to, you know, do these things for yourself. You can show people that you can do things for yourself. And then when I would say, but I don't like it when so-and-so counted my money for me or so-and-so touched me or took me there, it was, but they're just trying to help you. They're very old. They, it made them feel really good. And that was really hard for me as a kid. And I didn't even realize that it was so hard until recently. The other really big contradiction for me was, well, first of all, you know, I had friends who were great friends, truly. They showed me how to do things. They were there for me. They drove me places. You know, we went places together as we got older. But these same friends would invite me to a dance and then run off and leave me somewhere. Hmm. These same friends would run away from me on the playground. Now, sometimes it was, you know, they truly were just being kids. They saw something across the playground. They didn't remember that I couldn't see what they were seeing. They were excited and they ran away. Sometimes though, for real, they were just being mean to me and they laughed and they thought it was funny. And of course, some of this would have been helped if Uh I had used the cane, but they thought they found it funny that I would walk and have my hands stretched out and try to find them, even in high school. I ran cross country and track. I was known. I mean, I was that blind runner. Everybody in high school knew me as this blind kid. Yet my teammates, they could decide if they wanted to run with me on a warm up run or they could just run off on their own and, and kind of make my guide runner take me. And when they were running off on their own, you know, they were having conversations that teammates have and I was kind of left out of those conversations. And so that was also sort of a contradiction that everybody knew me, people liked me around, but they always, I felt like they always got to decide. And when I was too much Uh or more of a burden or somebody that they just didn't want to bother with, then they could go off on their own. And I just had to deal with it. And nobody ever told me that it would be okay to have a conversation with these people to say, look, this was really hurtful for me when you did such and such. It was all just, oh, if they're being mean, they're just, you know, they must be upset about something in their own life. And, and you know, again, you you can handle this. It's not really your fault, but it's not really their fault. We're, you know, just just don't worry about it. You'll be friends again. You know, kids do mean things, whatever it was. And so that was sort of part of it. And so I guess all that is to say, by the time you get to be an adolescent, if all these things have kind of happened over a lifetime or different experiences like this, it becomes very difficult. And then when you're an adolescent, you also don't want to stand out, right? I don't want to be the one. I'm already the blind kid, right? I don't want to stand out. And so sometimes I feel like people are so grateful for somebody paying attention to them, making them feel special, that I think sometimes that also has a a really big impact on sort of how these kinds Letting of things people go a little too can far. happen? Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, again, like, all these contradictions. To. That's right. So I'm sorry that was a really long story, but um, I appreciate being able to to tell that.
1: Now that was that was powerful. But two two pieces that that brought out in what you were saying, Melissa. One, it's obvious then, based on all three of you, that we really need to focus on. I don't know if it's actually called training, but definitely getting individuals to a place where they can acquire that skill set to take ownership of their own space, to be empowered toward more body autonomy? Is is that part of what the task force is doing? Trying to develop those types of suggestions, policies, procedures for training the individuals to be more uh, their own self-advocate, more self-aware, more empowered?
3: The short answer is yes. Each month, I know up until through July, I know for certain, A member of the task force or someone connected to the task force will be writing blogs on various subjects pertaining to being a survivor or allyship or just various topics. And actually, Sarah Meyer, in our inaugural blog in February, wrote an excellent article Mm. about consent and setting healthy boundaries. And so it's not just necessarily for the survivor, but I think for all people... As we talked about, this this issue is not isolated to the blindness community, but really spreading the message within our community as a whole that, hey, it's important to seek consent. I am not a parent, let me just say, but I think it's awesome when I see parents and their children, and they may be at a family gathering and uncle simon may walk up and uncle simon wants a hug and the parent says well ask felicia does she want a hug you know what i mean because it's setting up those boundaries and the consent and the norm it changes
1: the whole norm yes yes
3: and so sarah's blog that she wrote it had a lot of different resources where folks could click through to find out how can i start to create this consent culture within my, you know, within your own sphere of influence and what are healthy boundaries? You know, what does it feel like to have a healthy boundary and is it okay for me to set that healthy boundary? Yes. but my yeah. answer to that is, yes, it is. It's critical.
1: Yeah.
2: And I want to go back to something else Melissa was talking about. So blind people come to our conventions and our events and our meetings some come as as blind students as young blind people they may not have a lot of experience with people thinking they were competent that they were smart mm. um yeah or they're newly blinded and they have not a lot of confidence in themselves and they come to our events and suddenly people think they're smart and and believe what they say and people help give them confidence and that creates a power dynamic also mm-hmm. yeah. that I think people aren't always aware of. You know, if a leader is talking to me and we develop a relationship where we're we're talking blindness philosophy, you know, and I'm learning all these things and I really respect the leader. And then the leader asks me something, you know, eventually that's it's a little inappropriate. Crossing the line. Am I more likely to to acquiesce because that's a leader. Yes, yeah. I am.
1: Wow. You've also mentioned the term ally. So, you know, in addition to empowering the individual, what what else can, well, I guess you wanted for our audience to find the term ally and, and give us some, some ideas of what allies can do to help address this situation. So an
2: ally and, and that person can have any relationship with a survivor it can be a relative, a friend, an acquaintance, a fellow chapter member who either observes an incident happening or is told about something from a survivor or may just observe behavior in a survivor that makes the ally think, Oh, I wonder, I wonder what's going on. I wonder what happened to her that Mm -hmm. she's behaving this way. Allies often don't know what to do. They don't know how to talk. To the, their friend or their, their colleague, and they don't know, you know, should I tell someone about this? How do I help this person? What's the right level? And so part of what we want to do is is develop things that trainings and, and things that allies can do to be helpful, to know and understand the signs of trauma in their friend or their colleague, and to learn how, you know, how they might be able to intervene if they're in a situation, you know, if I have a roommate, and we're at convention, and my roommate and I are out with some folks, and, and I observe something that was happening that was inappropriate. How do I talk to my friend? Am I supposed to report that to someone? So that's, those are all, all kinds of things that we're working on.
1: That, that's helpful, because one of the things we're doing within the National Federation of the Blind is we're making sure that we Really focus on that training for everyone. So we we as staff are supposed to be participating in a mandatory training with Rain, you know, a nationwide expert in this field, and that helps me understand what I should be expecting in that training because I was I was curious about that. So that's helpful.
0: So I think we've had a great discussion so far. Um, what are some misconceptions or challenges blind people face as a survivor?
3: That's a great question. You know, we've talked about how. The, about low expectations and how that may play
0: into grooming and. Um, oh, hold, hold on one second. Let's let's go back for a minute. What's grooming? Because that's a really important concept, and I don't know if all of our listeners know what that is. So, could you define that real quick before you go on? Sure. So,
3: grooming is when a person who may ultimately become a transgressor kind of identifies an individual who. For whatever reason, they feel is vulnerable and they may provide compliments to that individual like, oh, you're so special. You're so smart. Find ways to Mm. isolate that person to gain their trust. And eventually over time, as they gain that that individual's trust, they may start to touch them without asking or progress into other behaviors that then turns that individual into a victim because the power dynamic is there like we were mm. talking about the power imbalance was is it's present like we talked about earlier and this person who is vulnerable maybe isolated in terms of they don't have any friends or they don't have a support network has this person who's shown them so much attention and given them so much praise that they may have not have received before and they're like oh, okay now they they want me to do this well okay i guess they they really like me i should do this because i don't want to lose that person's attention or that person's praise wow so that is what absolutely is
2: and it can even start out with the praise and the and that you know like i think you have great leadership potential and a lot of things like that and then it it can even lead to just a lot of inappropriate talking Mm
0: -hmm. Mm.
2: you know like the, the person goes from addressing things that are about the federation or blindness philosophy to talking very personally about you or with you or revealing personal things about themselves that Mm -hmm. you're not comfortable with this relationship that's evolved and you don't know how to how to set a
0: boundary and i would think too that that also could could move into what could be perceived as psychological abuse or feel very much like psychological abuse, because if all of a sudden somebody who you really trust was praising you, and then all of a sudden they're pointing out something, you know, whether they mean to or not, whether they're trying to be tough love or whether they're really trying to do it as a, you know, an abusive type thing, if they start pointing out flaws, Mm -hmm. that could also be Mm -hmm. really difficult. And um, yeah, so, I mean, I I think all those things are super important.
1: This is much more subtle than I was thinking, because when you hear assault, you think of more of an aggressive action. What you guys are talking about is somewhat seemingly diabolical. But uh, Daphne, you were you were speaking toward the misconceptions and challenges that blind survivors face.
3: So I think we, when we talk about misconceptions or challenges that blind survivors may face is when it comes to... Being able to talk to someone who's a service provider, whether that person is a counselor, a therapist, someone at a crisis center, if it's a legal, you know, if it's someone within the police or human services, someone that can help them. We know that most of the time when someone is victimized, like it's someone that they know, but in those instances, when you don't know that person, if you are someone who is blind or has another type of disability, you may not be able to describe that person. And so it's like, who's going to believe me? Hmm. I can't even tell you what that person looked like. What were they wearing? Where did this exactly happen to me? So you have that challenge. You also have the challenge of Will I have access to materials? Because a lot of the times when you go places, to try to get help, they hand you a stack of papers, printed brochures. So the access to information is lacking. There are stereotypes that people within the medical field or within law enforcement or even within, sadly, the helping fields of like counseling or human services have stereotypes about people with disabilities. And treating you, you know, having infantilizing you, you know, treating you like your child or as if you don't know what you're talking about. And then also, I would say in the case of if you may be in a situation of domestic where it's the partner or someone within the home that's causing the harm, That blind person may not, depending upon what's going on in their lives, but they may not have the resources to leave. So how can they get out of that situation Mm. if they have limited resources? Do they have access to transportation to actually get away? Is that person withholding their mobility tools when they leave so that the person can't physically leave? You know what I mean? So there's so many different challenges that may come up for someone
0: who is a, a blind survivor not to mention just the the normal things that come up for all survivors especially if you're reporting against someone who's really well respected mm-hmm. oh that can't be yes. you must have misinterpreted that well what were you wearing mm-hmm. how were you behaving you know there's so many things and I mean I remember trying to find a therapist for depression a couple of years ago and being terrified before my first appointment, because I did not want to make my first appointment all about blindness. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm a blind person, Yes, but I was depressed and my depression had very little to do with my blindness. My blindness wasn't new. I could see if I was just very newly blind and didn't know what to do or which way to turn. That would be a very different topic. But I wanted to make darn sure that that therapist saw me as a whole person Mm -hmm. and not just as my blindness. And so I can't even imagine having all of that on top of everything else you're just describing, because that is that is just so real. That's so real.
1: It is a lot. It, It is a lot. And when I was doing my research, I didn't realize how pervasive it was. But they were saying one out of every four, every five women have experienced uh, sexual assault or misconduct, et cetera. So I'm sure that we have listeners, right, that are survivors. Uh, what, what would you want to tell them right now? All the stuff we've said, it just seems like it's so much, but what would you like for them to know? So I want people
2: listening to this to know that we hear you, that we believe you, that we understand all the mixture of feelings you may be having, the guilt, the confusion, the fear, the anxiety, and that we are here for you. Our task force, Daphne can give the information about how people contact us, but people can contact us. If someone wants to file a code of conduct complaint through the Federation and needs help, we can be there as an advocate. They can also choose to have someone else as an advocate, but we want to be there for people. We also want to invite people to help us with the work, but we know some people may not be there. So I want people to know that that we we hear them, we believe them, we understand them, and we're there.
3: Mm-hmm. What I would love to tell survivors that they did nothing to cause whatever action that the perpetrator transgressor did towards them, that they should not feel ashamed that they are loved and that they matter. I know like for me, the the shame piece has been such an overwhelming part to find ways to cope with that and to realize that I didn't do anything and I I know of other survivors where that's one of their biggest fears and so please know that you did nothing wrong to cause the action. And so, as Marcy mentioned, we welcome anyone who has a heart for this work to join us in any of the branches to give us a phone call to shoot us an email. Our webpage is wwwnfborg survivors. You can email us at survivors at nfb.org, or you can also call the voicemail box, which is our main number, 410 659 9314, extension 2238.
0: Thank you so much wow. for all this.
1: I I just want to say I really appreciate you guys. You're you're exhibiting what I would consider a great deal of courage, even in disclosing. Because, again, looking at this, another statistic that really shocked me is that how less than a third of these instances actually get reported. And then it went on to say that about 7% of them are brought to the attention of authorities like the police, et cetera. And then less than half of them actually result in some type of consequence against the the transgressor, I believe, is the word that you used earlier. So I really appreciate the fact that it is a survivor-led task force that's hopefully you know, giving other individuals who may have been a little more reluctant to exercise their voice and, and exercise their power to come forward and help us address it, because I think that's the only way we're really going to be able to, to create some systemic change in our, in our culture and develop the safe, welcoming infrastructure that we want. So I, I appreciate you guys for being vulnerable and, and for exhibiting the courage that you are in, in taking on this, this effort.
0: Definitely, kudos to both of you. Thank you for being who you are. Thank you for doing what you do. I just wanna make sure that, you know we've talked a lot about women as survivors and I just wanna point out that we know that survivors are um, in all different races, genders, everything across the board. And so if you are a man and you're listening, and you are a survivor, we hear you as well. Even though we haven't talked a lot about men survivors, don't feel as though we're discounting any of your experiences. And we really would like to hear from you as well to make sure that your voice is part of the task force, part of our work. And so if you feel so inclined, please make sure that that you do that as well.
2: Two other things that I would like to add, first going back to what you were talking about including other other people as survivors, Melissa. We also want to hear from trans people who are survivors. Um, we know that trans disabled people are victimized at a much higher rate. And so your voices are also important to us. The other thing I want to let people know about is that the National Federation of the Blind has basically opened up the time vault in terms of reporting incidents. So you can report something because we know these things have happened. They didn't just start when our code of conduct started. They've been happening as long as we've been here. So you can report an incident that happened at any time in the past. Right now, that window is open through the 1st of August, and it will be revisited at that time to see if it needs to be extended. But wanted people to know that.
1: Definitely you had something
3: my final note would be just to survivors and allies and and those who are associated with a survivor, just to know that we understand that we're all at different places along the continuum of healing. And it's okay to be angry, to be frustrated, to be sad. And that we also understand that healing does not look the same for everyone and so it's okay if you as a survivor decide to go to the authorities or not it's okay to access if it happens within the federation it's okay to access the code of conduct or not you know our main objective is that you as a survivor finds a path to to healing that's going to help you to become whole again
1: now that i think is the powerful piece, and, and we can close at that. And I really appreciate you guys for sharing the Survivor Task Force and what we're trying to do there, but even more so sharing from a real personal level and again, being vulnerable and, and setting us all up in a way that we can all work to address this problem. So to our listeners, if you need any more information, we'll have some stuff in the program notes, et cetera, but have the contact information to reach the survivors, survivors at org. We want to hear from you also, so feel free to write to us. You can contact us in a variety of different ways. You can write to podcast at nfb.org.
0: You can call us 410-659-9314, extension. 2- 2444. That's <laughs> correct.
1: Good for you. Yeah.
0: Yes. You can also
1: <laughs> yeah, welcome wild. back, to listen. You can also find us on Twitter at NFB underscore voice.
0: And you can definitely uh, write to us on Facebook. Just search for National Federation of the Blind.
1: Right. And we want you guys to really truly remember that you truly can live the life you want.
0: And blindness is not what holds you back.